0: Okay, without looking down at your bulletin, don't look down. Don't look down at your bulletin up here. Raise your hand if you can tell me what is written on the front cover under the name Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Raise your hand if you know what's written under our name, and don't lie because God is watching. All right, now everybody look at your bulletin. What's written under the name Redeemer Presbyterian Church? Yeah, y'all do as well as the children. Right, experiencing community in Christ. That's been on the front of our bulletin since we began as Island Community Church on James Island almost 20 years ago. We kept that line when we moved to this location and changed our name to Redeemer Presbyterian Church because that line expresses so much of who we long to be. We long to be A community, a community that focuses on the centrality of Christ in all things, experiencing community in Christ. That means that we are committed to being a community together that focuses on knowing Christ as he is presented to us in Scripture. We long to engage our minds around the truth of God's word, but you and I are also experiential people. Because God has made us us with emotions and with feelings. And so we long to engage our emotions around the truth of God's word. To feel what it means to be a son or daughter of God, a disciple of Christ. We kept the word community because we believe that it's absolutely vital to both think and to feel in the context of community with others. Not in seclusion, not in isolation. And so we are committed to being a community. And we believe that community extends beyond these four walls to the community in which we find ourselves planted. And so we are committed to being a community that reaches the community with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now all of that... To say this, it is absolutely vital for each one of us to be intimately connected to community life. And I pray that we'll be convinced of that as we come to the word of the Lord this morning. We are back once again in Matthew chapter 9, Sermon on the Mount, excuse me, chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you'll take them. If you don't have one, there should be one in the pew in front of you open to the gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter, and when you found your place, let's stand together as we hear read the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, this is the word of the Lord. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to teach us how to pray so that we know it how it is that we should have this intimate connection we talk about with you that comes to us through prayer. You haven't left us to figure it out on our own, Lord. So now as we begin to look at this prayer that you prayed, we pray that you would, by the power of your Spirit, give us great insight and understanding so that our lives, particularly our lives of prayer, are always guided by the truth that you pray present before us in these words. So We pray for this blessing from you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When we began our study of the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes many months ago, we noted then that there is a right way, there is a right way to live in this world. There is a way to live in this world that's blessed by God. There is a way to live in this world that leads to shalom for us, that leads to peace. A way of living that, that gives us completeness in all of our lives. Jesus teaches that way here in this sermon And the way he teaches is a way that leads to flourishing for us. Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 give us an image of that flourishing. God's word says, blessed is the man, blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does He prospers. The person who delights in the law of the Lord, the person who keeps the ways of the Lord always in the forefront of their mind, day and night, the life of that person flourishes like the tree planted by the stream. And God gives us, you and me, this vision in His Word so that we will say, that's what I want. That's what I want my life. To look like, I don't want to live a dried up, withered, shriveled life. I want my life to flourish. And so if you want your life to flourish, if you do, then all that Jesus teaches here on the mountain must be a delight to your heart. You've got to keep it before you, in the forefront of your mind, day and night, as Psalm 1 says. You and I can't expect flourishing Apart from that, we've also noted in our study, lo these many months on the Sermon on the Mount, that living as Jesus requires us to live here might mean that we have to be radical and we have to revision our lives. Radical. In that no part of our lives can be left untouched by the teaching that Jesus gives here. Revisioning. And that after you and I hear what the Lord says to us, when He speaks His truth to us, we might need to take a second look at our lives. Ask ourselves, how are we living our lives in light of the truth of the Word of God? We might need to revision our future. We might have a future all planned out for ourselves, but in light of what Jesus teaches here, we might need to revision that future that we have for ourselves. And so with that in mind, we come once again, this morning to jesus teaching on prayer we've looked at this now for several weeks and we have noticed each of the 3 weeks that this teaching on prayer in general and specifically the lord's prayer is at the center of the center of the center of the sermon on the mount and it holds that place on purpose god did it on purpose And he did it to show those who follow Christ, who claim to be disciples of Christ, that prayer must be central to our lives. And so we probably need to revision our lives a little bit, even in this, and to make some radical changes so that in your life and my life, prayer is central. We've also talked about why prayer is so important. It's important because in this world, The good things, the right things, the beautiful things, the healthful things, the loving and gracious and compassionate things, the merciful things that God ordains for us in this world, Satan opposes. And we've seen that this life that we're living is not a game. It's a battle against an enemy who, according to Scripture, seeks only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he does it so often by masquerading as an angel of light, giving the suggestion that he is for us, that he's on our side, that the life that he offers is a life of freedom and beauty. It's a lie. It's not true. He must be opposed, and so therefore, you and I must pray. We've seen that prayer must flow from a right relationship with God. The hypocrites did not have a right relationship, they prayed to the wrong audience. They prayed for the attention of others, they prayed to advance themselves because they didn't have a right relationship with God. The pagans were not in relationship with God at all. They had no concept of a loving God. And so they prayed in order to appease an angry, harsh God. They prayed to manipulate God. They prayed loudly because they believed that their God was so distant or so distracted that He would not hear them. He would not take notice unless they were loud in their praying. They prayed long because they believed that their God was reluctant to answer them. He didn't want to answer at all. And so they believed that unless they babbled and babbled and babbled and prayed on and on and on, that their God would not hear or answer. And so Jesus says in verse 6, Do not be like them. Don't pray like that. Instead, Jesus introduces the Lord's Prayer. Here in verse 9 by saying, pray then like this. Pray like this. Now please note that Jesus doesn't tell us to pray these exact words. Instead, Jesus holds this prayer up as a model for our prayer life. And that's why it's so important that we understand each element of this prayer. Now, are you going to be discouraged if I tell you we're only going to cover one word this morning? (laughs) One word, true story, just wait and see. For the rest of our lives, our prayer lives must look at least like this. And so you and I have to, to be ready right now in this place, in this moment, to revision our lives and to make radical changes so that we are praying As Jesus taught us to pray, if we really believe that living out this Sermon on the Mount leads to flourishing, then we must pray this way if we want our prayer lives to flourish. Now, I know that you know this, but I need to say it out loud as we begin to look at this prayer. A flourishing prayer life does not equal getting everything you want. You know that already, don't you? A flourishing prayer life doesn't mean getting everything you want. A flourishing prayer life happens when you and I are praying for the right things and getting our wills more and more and more in line with the will of God. As we'll see in the next weeks, thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Thy will be done, not my will be done. So praying, as Jesus teaches us to pray here, means that you might not get what your heart desires the very most. And you know what? That's okay. Because the only way for us to flourish here in this life is to be in God's will. And so we pray toward that end. Anything else is what Scripture calls kicking against God the goads. And that's our human nature. We are fighters. And often we fight against God's will in order to get our own. That's what the Apostle Paul tried to do. Remember his story? Before he was ever an apostle, before he was even a believer in Christ, when his name was still Saul, he wanted to destroy the church. And his goal and the passion of his life was to silence the good news of the gospel message that salvation and new hope and new life and eternal life can be found through faith in Jesus Christ. He wanted that message silenced. And so the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Saul. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard For you to kick against the goads. And that's a vivid illustration for you and for me of the futility. I'm telling you, it's absolutely futile to fight against the will of God. And it's vivid because if you don't know this, a goad was a sharp pointed stick that served the same purpose as a whip. And so we are to picture uh, a stubborn, balking animal. Attempting to go its own way and do its own thing, but it's useless. Because every time that animal balks, every time that animal stubbornly refuses to do what the owner wants, he gets a jab. He gets a goad until he goes in the way the owner wants him to go. The proper way. And so it is for you and for me particularly in prayer, with the will of God. It's useless to fight against it. We are as helpless as the animals. And it's only going to end up in pain and frustration. The good news for us is that God is not a harsh taskmaster. Do you believe that? He's not. God is a good God. He's a good heavenly Father. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's what makes the goad in our lives a blessing and not a curse. So let's keep all that in mind as we begin to look at this model prayer. Look in verse 9. What is the very first word with which Jesus begins this prayer? What is it? What is it? One more time. What is it? Our. Right. Our Father. Not my not my father, but our father. And so with this one word, Jesus pulls every one of us into community. And for some people, that is a sharp goad. Because we like to be independent. And we like to be individualistic. And we like to be private. And we like to be to ourselves. And we like to believe that we can flourish in isolation from other believers in Christ. You can't. Jesus won't allow it. The first word in his model prayer is our, and it is a community word. He's modeling community for believers, community of believers, the vitalness of it. When we look through the rest of this prayer, we see more community words. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. By God's design, we are all in this together. You know what? We are all in this together. And guess what? None of us is going to make it out alive. We are all in this together. We need each other. Psalm 68 Six is such a beautiful representation of the community that God has for us. I'm going to read it from three translations. The ESV, God settles the solitary in a home. The NAS, God makes a home for the lonely. In the NIV, God sets the lonely in families. Is that not beautiful? God doesn't want us to be alone. Why does He do that? He knows we need community. God knows that we need family. One author in his book on the Lord's Prayer writes this, There may be religions that come to you through quiet walks in the woods, or by sitting quietly in the library with a book, or by rummaging around in the recesses of your psyche. Christianity is not one of them. Christianity is inherently communal, a matter of life in the body, the church. Jesus did not call isolated individuals to follow Him. He called a group of disciples. Certainly, it's one of the greatest privileges we have to call God my Father, my Father. We have that individual intimacy with Him. And certainly we must have time alone with the Lord. And the quiet woods or a quiet stream might be that special place to have that special time with the Lord. But you and I have to remember, I'm not an only child. You are not an only child. God has placed us in a big family with lots of brothers and sisters. Why would the Lord do that? Why does He think it's something good? Why does Jesus teach us to pray our? What does Jesus know might happen in community? Not just when we live out of community, but when we pray in community. What do we find in community that we cannot find when we are alone in isolation? Encouragement? Comfort? Inspiration? Insight? Increased depth of understanding? Strength? Perspective? I don't know. But the Lord knows. What I do know is this, in order for us to flourish, if we want to flourish, we must live together and pray together in community. And I know this as well, and you do too after all these many weeks. Whatever God ordains, Satan, yeah, Satan opposes. And so he opposes family. He opposes community by fooling us into thinking that isolation is better, however he does that. By believing no one wants us, no one cares, believing we're better off if we live an independent life and don't depend on anyone else, he doesn't want us to live in community. He doesn't want us to pray in community. He fears community. Why? Why does the enemy fear community? Okay, this might be the cheesiest thing I've ever said, but get ready for it. You ready? Because there is power in our. (laughs) There's power in our. O-U-R. There's power in our. Now, if you say that with me, we'll all be cheesy together as a family. You ready? There's power in our. How do you need? It feels cheesy, doesn't it? But it's okay. We all did it together. So how do you need to revision your life? And, And what are the radical changes you might need to make to be more our. We must live in community. I believe in this so much. And that's why here at Redeemer, we cannot relent on the very simple structure that we have as a church. We are a family gathered right now here together, and we are a family that scatters during the week into our various community groups where we are a family on mission together. And sometimes I feel like we as a church are kicking against the goads because we're not unaware of what other churches do. We're not unaware of the programs that other churches put in place to attract people and to minister to them. We're not unaware of the statistics that tell us if you want to be successful, you have to have these programs in your church. We just can't do it. We can't give up on our community groups. We can't give up on being a family on mission together. We may need to keep working on it, absolutely. We may need to keep exploring what it means to have authentic community so that you and I are real with one another and don't just show up, hello, eat, study, pray, bye. Yeah, we need to keep working. But we do that. We keep working. We keep meeting in community because we cannot give up on the power of the hour. I know that community is vital. I know it is. And I know that it's a non-negotiable because it's how God himself lives. God lives in community. Think about it. After God had created everything else out of nothing, Back in Genesis, first and second chapter, when it came time for him to create human beings, those he would crown with glory and honor, God said this, let us make man in our image. God speaks of himself as us, as our. God himself does not live in solitude. Before the world was ever created, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit dwelt in beautiful, perfect community. He is the perfect example of community. Our Confession of Faith, the Longer Catechism, question 9, asks, How many persons are there in the Godhead? The answer is, there be three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one, eternal God. The same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties. See, God is three persons, each with a unique personality. All three are not the Father. All three are not the Son. All three are not the Holy Spirit. There's one Father, one Son, one Spirit, three in one. Perfect unity exists among the diversity of the Godhead. And there's power. There's power here in this community. Power to create out of nothing everything that is. There's power in our. There's power to execute a good and perfect plan for this world. Because among the Godhead there is perfect unity of purpose. Each person of the Godhead working not independently, not in isolation, but together in community to accomplish what is beautiful. The Apostle Paul ends his second letter to the Corinthians with these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Grace, love, fellowship, these three words together. Look, you and I, wouldn't be experiencing new life in Christ right now. We would not be a new creation apart from the community life and the community work of the Godhead and the power of the hour. John 3, 34. For He, Jesus, whom God has sent, utters the words of God, for He gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Look how they work together. God sent the son. God gave him true words to speak because he gave him the spirit without measure. So how thankful we are for the community of the godhead, for the power of the hour. Romans 8:11 If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he, God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you here once again all three persons of the godhead each making their distinct contribution to making you and me alive because there's power in the hour one more titus 3. but after that the kindness and love of god our savior toward man appeared he saved us by the washing of regeneration And renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. (laughs) Do you see what is accomplished in community life? Salvation for everyone who believes. For you here this morning, if you in faith believe, believe that God sent His Son, that the Son died for you, that the Spirit of God applies that sacrifice of Christ to you, and He brings life to your soul, and He opens your eyes to see the beauty of Jesus and to believe the good news of the gospel. There is power in our. Are you thankful for it? Are you thankful for it? We're talking about your salvation right now. Are you thankful for it? There we go. And then God says that we're made in His image, in His likeness. That means then that we must live in community. We must pray in community. Our Father. That's how God has designed us. Living in community. Listen, this is so important. Living in community is how we reflect the image of God. And so that probably means that we need to look at the community of the Godhead for what true community should look like. Here's what we do. We filter our idea of community through what we experience here on earth. And and, and we so often get it backwards. We think that what we experience in our lives is the original. And then we filter God through that. And what I mean by that, for example, is that we judge God as father based on the kind of human father we have had, fathers that have failed us. But listen, God is not the replica. God is the original. I want to say that again. God is not the replica. God is the original. Human fathers are poor representations of the original, and so in the very same way, We cannot judge or reject community just because human community fails us. We are very often poor representations of the original. We look at the community that we experience here on earth, even here at Redeemer, and we reject it when it's broken. But guess what? It's always going to be broken. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are going to get it right. We reject community when it disappoints us. But guess what? It's always going to disappoint us because none of us are perfect. We don't love perfectly. We don't care perfectly. And so we will disappoint each other. But that does not mean that we can reject community life and community prayer. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on the beauty of the community of the Godhead. We look to that community as our model. The source for all of our life together as a church is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is His life. The life of God is community. It's who He is. And so we attempt to replicate that beautiful, united, loving community as we see in there, because we must live in community. Grace, love, fellowship, it's not an option. Not if we will flourish. Not if we will ever have the power to make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake. And so we've got to think of our life of faith in community terms. And so I'm sorry. But you're just wrong if you say, As I have heard so many times in my life, people say, to justify their lack of involvement in church life and community life. Well, me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. You know what? That might be your thing, but I'll tell you this. It ain't Jesus' thing. Jesus' thing is community. Jesus' thing is our Father. Therefore, living in community and praying in community is not an option for us. And here's the good news. God will energize this kind of living and this kind of praying among His people. This is how He'll enable us to to flourish. Living together in community. Praying together in community. I'm telling you, there are victories to be won when you and I live in community and pray in community. Our Father. The kingdom of God, it's going to be advanced through us when we live together and pray together in community. So please, revision your life right now if you need to. If you need to, look again at how you live. How are you living in community with God's people? How well are you reflecting the image of God in this? You might need to get radical. You might need to make some decisions, some tough decisions that enable you to live in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You might have to say no to other things, even important things, so that you can be part of a vital group that lives in community together and prays in community together. Community, relationship, they are the marks of the life of God. Community and relationship are the marks of the life of God and they must be the marks of our lives as well. They must be the marks of all who claim to love and follow Christ. We must make them a priority. We must live in community. We need each other. Our spiritual flourishing depends on it and the flourishing of the gospel in this city depends on it as well. We must be in community. We must be a family on mission together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the depth of it, Lord, that we can take one word, just one word in this model prayer. And if we hear you rightly, our lives will be changed by it. So keep us mindful of that when we are tempted to recite this prayer rotely. Lord, the 50-some words of it, and then think we've done our duty by prayer. Lord, it's so rich, the depths of it and what it models for us, really beyond our ability to imagine. But Lord, take this one truth, we pray, and apply it to our lives. You are without question a God of community, dwelling so beautifully as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. Perfect example of perfect community. United, love, grace, fellowship. Father, we pray that that might mark our community life together as well. Lord, convict us of the importance of being part of a community. Lord, help us make right choices so that we can be vital and active parts of community. And Lord, teach us what community is. We don't want that to be wrote either. Lord, if there's going to be power in our, we have to learn how to relate to one another honestly and deeply and carefully and graciously and compassionately. We have to be that for one another, and I pray that you will make us be that very thing. Lord, transform us and transform our city because we are a family on mission together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.